0: That we encourage them. Um, if I can, well, then certainly they can. But anyway, the the uh, the church in Stanford wants sort of an installation um, service. They 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 are they're I guess they're thinking that Brandon will be there while their former minister was there thirty something years. So they they just haven't hired a preacher. They've uh, they've secured a utility, um, and so I'm going to carry all of our blessings with me. Uh, to to Brandon and Sierra and the boys next week. And I'm tickled that Jeff Peterson's going to preach next week. Uh, the, the sermons um, that I'm thinking about between now and our centennial are, are meant to be sermons that not only uh, get us in a centennial frame of mind, uh, but also uh, give us uh, a foundation uh, off of which we might go forward after we celebrate this this hundredth year on this site. Uh, So that the centennial is not uh, the end of a thing, but uh, the acknowledgement of progress along the way with a a further commitment to dedicated work as we move uh, into God's future that he is already planning for us. And so we want to spend some time um, over the next few weeks unpacking a bit this notion of loving God and loving others. We understand that the reason that loving God and loving others is emphasized in the Gospels is not because these are two great commandments out of the Old Testament. Loving God out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, loving others out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It's not that this is great Old Testament text, but that these verses transcend the Testaments and become the, the reason for us to live our lives. And so this morning, uh, we're dealing with a part of what it means to be people who love God. God. And a part of loving God is to, to understand um, and to, to invest ourselves, to appreciate, to, to live under the reality of who God is. It has not been the Christian responsibility to noodle uh, his or herself up to God. Uh, We do not live in a religion that is mystical in that sense. We do not believe in a God that is uh, a pantheistic God, that that God is infusing everything, and and there's a little bit of God in everything, but in all of us there's a little bit of soul, and when we die our soul eventually goes back into the great soul of the universe, and and, uh, our identity is lost. Uh, we, we believe in the God who is God and the God who has revealed himself. The God who has made himself known. And so in this revelation of God, God gives us not just an amorphous target. Love this idea. See if you can love God in some kind of sentimental Uh, philosophical sort of way but God presents himself and, and says here I am this is who I am, this is what I am hear me, know me obey me, love me but don't love your idea of me love me as I present myself to you uh, this is a bit of a challenge in a world where uh, we would prefer, as human beings have always preferred, to create God in our own image. To be able to say, this is my best self, so therefore this must be God's best self. This is as good as I can get, so this is probably as good as God's going to get. In fact, uh, we do not know everything about who God is, what God is. We have trouble um, hearing that infinitude of God, God's eternal nature. And so what we are challenged to do is not comprehend God at the limits of our philosophical boundaries, But we are really asked to understand God as God has revealed himself to us. And so if we uh, do that, then uh, I'm always interested in how people uh, begin with that. We've talked before about how most people, a lot of folks, have sort of a woman at the well kind of question. That if you mention that you care something about God, then, then they have a question about God that is usually very, um, well the word I want to use is arcane, but that, arcane is a word that is itself what it says it is. Uh, it's uh, obtuse and hidden and, and hard to understand. Um, and, and so you get uh, someone who only wants to begin talking about God in the first two chapters of Job. And, and that's okay. Or, or, or their understanding of 2nd Salapatica 4 or some other obscure verse. But what I want you to hear is that in God's self-revelation that I always try to begin with John chapter 1 where it says um, that Jesus came into the world. The Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God. But God, the one and only. Or for you uh, King James folks... The only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The peak of God's self revelation is Jesus Christ Himself. And as we uh, follow the ministry and the life of Jesus, we understand that there is a a kind of complexity to God that that surprises us. That that the Father, when Jesus is baptized, speaks to Jesus. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And as he does that, the Holy Spirit of God descends on Jesus. Jesus. And if we're reading in the Gospel of Luke, then after the baptism, then Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And then after Jesus defeats Satan in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit leads him out of the wilderness. And then when Jesus goes to Nazareth, Jesus, the one who has been acknowledged by the Father... Stands up and reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. And so we hear that God has come into the world in some kind of overwhelmingly comprehensive way. The Father is fulfilling the promises The Son has come in the flesh. The Spirit is infusing the ministry of the Son so that by word and deed, the, the promises of God are laid out. And when we hear that we are to love God, when we have sat with Jesus... A while, if we have walked with Jesus for a while, if we have been in the upper room where our reading was, that Sister Ruth read for us, if we've been in the upper room before he goes to the garden to pray, we know that Jesus is deeply engaged with the promises of the continuing work of the Spirit and living inside the love of the Father. So the question comes to us, Do we love the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God who are altogether holy God? That when we say love God, we are not just saying love God in some kind of whoever that is. But that we are visualizing, we are conceptualizing, we are seeing that we love the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their combined work for our benefit and salvation in the world. I know people who don't have much luck loving the Father. They're not sure about loving God who is called the Father. They they set up this uh, dichotomy between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I know why they do that. People feel really bad about the Amalekites and the Canaanites and, and all of those things. I, I, I always feel a little pressure to argue for the virtue of God with some people who say they don't like much the God of the Old Testament. And yet what is heard in John chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ living in the earth is making the nature and the glory and the identity of the God we've been watching in the Old Testament known. The God who creates, the God who makes promises, the God who has righteousness, the God who has blessing, and the God who can, frankly, get enough. This is the part of God people don't like in the Old Testament sometimes. The God who can say, Oh goodness, guys. We've been at this for centuries now. I made I made promises I called you out. You were Israel, you were no one. I did not call you because you were great. You were the least. I I just called you. I just called you. And, and we've come out through the Passover night. We have come through the Red Sea. We have, we have camped together at, at Sinai. We have wandered incessantly through this wilderness. I watched a generation or two of you die in the sands of Kadesh Barnea. We came through the Jordan we lived through your occasional faithfulness and frequent unfaithfulness through the judges we heard you ask for a king when samuel was my representative we had saul and we had david and we had solomon and we had rehoboam and we had and all the way through it you could not consistently keep your eyes on me. God says, you're like the woman I married who asked another guy out for the reception. You're, you're like, the, you're like the, the girl I married and when I look out in the front yard, none of our kids look alike. You've gone after many lovers. You worship the sun and the moon and the hills. You beg for fertility in the gardens. When you build a house, you sacrifice your firstborn son and lay his body in the cornerstone. And God finally says, I love you, but we can't keep doing this. There's a, a wonderful stretch in Ezekiel chapter 20, where God, I call it for the sake of my name section. Where God says, for the sake of my name, I did this. And for the sake of my name, I did this. For the sake of my name, I blessed you and I blessed you and I blessed you. And he finally he says, but now you are so Decadent, you are so far away from my heart, you are so far away that now for the sake of my name, I must let you go. Into bondage, into punishment, before the armies, I must let you go. For the sake of my name, enough. And I don't love the times when God says enough. But when I'm called to love God as he is and to love the Father, I am called and you are called to love the Father who can create the world and create life and breathe into it whatever he likes. And the God who can give blessing and fulfill covenant promises, but also the God who can say... Enough. And usually people really love Jesus. They like him in a manger. He's cute. There in the manger with his own little nightlight up there. Reading the Old Testament. We like Jesus in the temple. We like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. We like that. Except that narrow gate stuff. He starts to sound like his father. He does all that. When he doesn't say you can build your house on the sand and it'll be fine. He sounds a little bit like his father. But we love Jesus And then when he goes to the cross and he says one way or the other in scripture even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many Mark 10 45 and he says it in so many ways I love you And I've come not to just love you and heal your paralysis and your leprosy. I've come to give you the cure for the deepest disease in your life. To ransom your life from sin and punishment. And so at some point we question what Jesus' cross says about our great need. We may not want to think we're that much in need when someone says, I've never done anything I thought I needed forgiving for. Then at that point, there is no rationale for the cross. But the cross is Jesus' Most eloquent pulpit where he says to us For your life, for your sin, for you, this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. For the Son so loved the world that he gave himself. That whoever would believe would not perish, but have eternal life. And we don't know about loving the Spirit, because what happens is to the Spirit is what happens this morning. By the time you get through talking about the Father and the Son, you don't have time to talk about the Spirit But yet there's not a moment of creation that is not somehow overseen by the Spirit's presence. I know you can translate Holy Spirit, mighty wind. I know that. And I know folks who try to de the Old Testament. Don't worry if you don't care about that. I'm practicing for speaking where Brandon is. You can't take the Spirit's ministry of taking the chaos out of creation away. You take, can't take the Spirit's ministry of bringing life and order, and information into the world. Even Luke says in Acts 1 that Jesus' teaching came because of the Holy Spirit working in the life of Jesus. We don't like the Holy Spirit sometimes because the Christian faith is much more predictable and orderly without the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we have the Father and the Son and the Scriptures, then we can own this thing. We can make our logical arguments we can be what I called last week in class, New Testament deist. But I keep hearing in the back of my mind, and you'll understand why, my major professor when I was at ACU back before the earth cooled, And guys would try to get uh, Tom Albright back in a corner on what the Holy Spirit was doing because back then the work of the Holy Spirit was sort of a hot topic. And they would ask him, so so Dr. Albright, what does the Spirit do? And the problem was Dr. Albright had read John chapter 3 and what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And he would say in his unique southeastern Missouri twang. Well, the Spirit goes where he wills. And so if you are going to love the Holy Spirit, then you are going to have to love The one who stands at the growing edge of the kingdom of God. He is like that scout in the cowboy movies. That goes out ahead and looks at the terrain and the ground and comes back and says, This is where we're going. This is where we need this is where there's water. This is where there's grass. This is where the pass is. This is what the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is ahead of us. The Holy Spirit is drawing us. The Holy Spirit is active in us. The Holy Spirit is the one sent by God to be in the world with us, the Father in heaven, and Jesus at his side, but the one who is here. Here is the Holy Spirit. Why would we not love God the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who is working around us, and is the one making things on earth as they are in heaven? Do you love God? Do you? Do I? Do I love the great creator, promiser, covenant maker God? Do I make my life open to Jesus who showed me how to live and died for my life and rose again? Have I opened myself to the capricious... Beneficent, beneficial work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the life of the church. If we think this church has a lid on it, we're wrong. The lid's off. God is reaching in. And don't we just love it? I hope you'll find it in your heart this week to think about the Father God, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three, three in one, and love all there is of God. Let's stand and sing together.
1: Majesty. Worship is majesty unto Jesus, be our glory, power, and praise, majesty kingdom authority flow from his throne unto his own his anthem raise so exalt lift up on high the name of Jesus magnify come glorify Christ Jesus the King majesty, worship his majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus, magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King majesty, worship his majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, king of all kings, Jesus who died, now glorified, king of all kings,
0: be seated.
2: It is now our privilege to give back to the Lord some of the things that he has given us. Would you pray with me? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts of your bounty. Let us remember that we are but stewards and that we owe all to thee. These things we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.
1: My Jesus, I love Thee, I know Thou. Savior are thou if ever I love thee my jesus tis now
2: when you see the devastations of the last weeks. First, Houston gets and the whole coast gets hurricane winds and then 50 inches of rain. I mean, that's more rain than most places get in two or three or four or five years. First words that many people want to say are we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's from Romans 28. But that's kind of hard to believe in sometimes like this. We all sit and grieve with the hundreds of friends and family who are going through this. Hurricanes in Florida, as big as the whole state wildfires out west that are gobbling up sections of land at a time. How does this really work for their good? We have no answer to but to sit silently and mourn with them. When tragedy befalls us, it's hard to understand how anything good can come of it. And we always won't see it in this life. But God has good purposes and always remains with us. Like the family in Houston that really despised the guy next door because of that monster truck. He was always working on it. He was always up late at night making noise. And when he turned that thing on, the noise was horrible. But he was the one that got them out of the flood. And James said he met some wonderful people from South Dakota who came down to help just because they could. That's the good. This verse is a promise to comfort and encourage all of us who are going through difficult and painful times. The promise is all-encompassing for all things must include the good and the bad circumstances of life. It assures us that God is not absent and is sovereignly working in all things for our good. Although he may seem silent or maybe even absent, nothing is ever wasted in the hands of God. God has endured all things, including the sacrifice of his one and only Holy Son, the good of it all you ask, the good is to reconcile all of his children, you and me, to him for eternity. Now let us give thanks for this sacrifice. Thank you for your bread as a reminder to us of your Son for, given for our sins. May we take this from in remembering that he gave all to us. In his holy name, amen.
1: I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. and, is uh...
2: And now, Father, we ask a blessing on this fruit of the vine. A reminder of the blood shed so freely to redeem us from our sins. In Christ's holy name. Amen.
1: In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore Thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering cry, this night.
0: couple of things before we uh, close uh, today. Um, One in our Bible classes this morning we go back to our our huddles of classes in the chapel this morning um, Gary and friends will begin teaching the uh, class on the Holy Spirit for the chapel class, as that defines itself. Uh, In the uh, activity center, uh, the rangers class will meet uh, and uh, Andrea Hendricks will be teaching that class. Down in room 110, this is the part I want you to pay attention to. Um, We believe that there is one class Or two classes um, that need to be formed kind of underneath the, the chapel class. But we don't know, and we need your help to know how to do that, so I would just like to invite you, now the the class that's going to meet in there um, Alicia and Brian are going to, Pierce are going to teach that Uh, but we need to meet if you just come to that room 110, downstairs we'll have a little organizational meeting, if we all look at each other and go, hmm, yep, looks like one class to us then that'll be great, if we look at it and go, hmm, okay this is, um, this may need but we don't know how to do that um, apart from being with you, so come, come to that. That may not that may not be something that you envision yourself doing, but please come, please come and let yourself be a part of that. Second thing: um, two years ago, uh, Dalton and Shelby Johnson came to um, UA. And uh, Dalton became our youth ministry intern, and the, the notion of that was that he would be our intern, and we would pay him very little. Uh, and in addition, to that we would pay his expenses to, to Austin Graduate School of Theology. So it kind of was nice. It was kind of, it really worked out for us, and Jeff yeah but um, but the notion of that was that that uh, then, at the end of that internship, they would be fired up and ready to go do something in youth ministry uh, and and they are, and they 've been invited, and they will be moving um, after next Sunday uh, to um, the Canyon Church of Christ in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which is uh, A really wonderful area of Phoenix. Uh, It's on the uh, Sedona end of Phoenix. So that's really sweet. They have a great church there. Uh, they've been out and visited with them. They've been invited uh, next Sunday. Uh, will be their last Sunday. And uh, some of us have already planned that after church there's going to be a little eating. We can't let you, let you go without eating in the activity center. So uh, we'll do that and bless you and as you go. But anyway, uh, say thank you for your work and your ministry and um, the fact that you're leaving is not generally appreciated by our young people, but the people in Phoenix are going to be really blessed, really blessed. Let this be our, our blessing as we go. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's stand and sing.
1: There is a habitation built by the living God For all of every nation who seek that grand abode O oh, Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to see O oh, Zion! Shall I dwell in thee? A city with foundations firm as the eternal throne. No war, no desolations shall ever move a stone. Oh, Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to see. Shall I dwell in Thee? Within its pearly portals, angelic armies sing with glorified immortals the praises of its King, Hosanna, oh, Zion, Zion! I long. Thy gates to see O Zion Zion when shall I dwell in thee have a great Sunday